0: Welcome to our Sunday Sermon Podcast with City Harvest AG Church. Wherever you are in life, we believe that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Here at City Harvest, we believe in the undiluted Word of God and the teachings here will enhance your understanding of the Scripture and will help you grow and mature as a Christian. So we hope and pray that you will be blessed by this sermon. Today's sermon is brought to us by Pastor Shine Thomas. I like going for long drives. I'm sure that you all like long drives. And uh, usually when I go for a long drive, even though I know the route very well, I put the Google Maps and I like to follow the map. But when you look into that screen, it will show you only what is the next cross coming, where you have to take a left and things like that. But sometimes I'm tempted to zoom out and see the larger picture of the map. That gives me an impression that, okay, this map goes to this direction or it goes through Mysore and then it goes maybe to Kerala border and this is how I go. And sometimes it's good for us to have a bigger picture of where we are heading. So today we'll be a bird's eye view, a bigger picture on the Beatitudes, on the teaching of the Sermon of the Mount and we are going to have a broader look at how Jesus is approaching his teaching of the Sermon of the Mount and today will be more of a teaching session and I would love you to read Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7 when you get time in the coming weeks, okay? So I have titled the message for new believers finding true joy but if you are a mature believer this message is entitled introduction to the sermon on the mount right introduction to the sermon of the mount why because when you come to the kingdom of god you have joy unspeakable not based on the circumstances outside irrespective of the circumstances you have joy and gladness and you rejoice in insult you rejoice in hardships you rejoice in persecution and that joy nobody can take away from us because Christ has given us the joy bubbling in our hearts. So today we're going to see the introduction to the Beatitudes. This passage is called according to Matthew it is the first message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, this is the first words of his message. And you see how he begins uh, this message. And this is the best message the world can ever receive. We all like TED Talks, right? I would say this is the best TED talk. And we all like to hear speeches, you know, Martin Luther's speech and the speech that made Obama the president. It's all famous speeches, but this is the speech that still needs interpretation and this is a speech that nobody can go even that close of speaking like Jesus spoke. And we are going to take some time and understand during these days to come what Jesus is speaking in his very first address to the crowd and mainly to the disciples shall we read from matthew chapter 5 verse 1 to 16 i am reading from the niv version of the holy bible let's read it together now when jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them the beatitudes he said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. May God add his blessing to the reading of His scripture. In this passage, you will be amazed to know that nine times the word blessed is used, okay? And uh, when we see the meaning of the word blessed over here, it also gives us the meaning of happiness, joy, a satisfied life, a blessed life that Christ wants to give to us. And we must understand that blessedness is the attribute of God. In the Old Testament, we can find that God is considered blessed. If you see Psalm 119 verse 12, blessed art thou, O Lord. So God has this character, this nature attribute of being blessed. In First Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, we can again find the mention of the blessed God. The satisfaction that we have in the presence of God. The God is called blessed over there. And also Paul in his writing tells that Christ is also blessed. In First Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, God the blessed and the only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, talking about Christ. And now, if we as God's children, when we become the children of God, God is so happy in giving us his attribute, the blessedness in our lives. That's why the psalmist very clearly says in Psalm 144 verse 15, blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. So when we are God's children, God gives us that blessedness, gives us the joy and the peace and satisfaction in our lives. The King James Version says, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. If you are a child of God, you have come to worship you, you are the most blessed people living on the planet Earth. Can I hear an amen, church? Amen. He gives us blessedness. He gives us joy. And he is in the business of blessing people in the presence of God. And in Second Peter, we can find that we can participate. Through Christ, we may participate in the divine nature so, if blessedness is, is one of the attributes of God, we can also participate in that blessedness when we receive Jesus and the kingdom that Christ has to offer. So before I talk about the Beatitudes today and uh, how we are to look at them, we may not have time to look at every passage that we read, we can just have a bird's eye view and then you go and read at home, it makes more sense to you, it will give you a clearer understanding on how to read the Beatitudes and uh, how to put it into practice. It is basically, I want to start with giving the context in which Jesus is establishing his kingdom, right? Jesus came and the Jewish people were expecting the kingdom of God and they were expecting the Messiah to come and have a political kingdom. And in that expectation of the Jewish audience, Jesus is coming and establishing his kingdom. First of all, we must understand that Jesus had an original audience as he was speaking this sermon, right? When Jesus was speaking his sermon, there were, by now, Jesus had four disciples. Not all 12 had been taken now. He had four disciples. And in Matthew chapter 4, we can find that uh, Jesus has started his public ministry and there are people who are flocking around him because of the healing and the ministry that Jesus is doing. So there is a multitude that has come to him. So Matthew puts in such a way that he draws them to the mountain. He takes them to the mountain and he starts addressing these people. So Jesus has an initial audience. Who are they? The four disciples and the multitude. So Jesus had a meaning and a message to them. And the second audience is the audience of Matthew. When Matthew is writing this to the church, a church that is a mix of Gentiles and the Jews, right? And uh, when there is a Jew-Gentile conflict happening in the church, Matthew is writing to the church. So there is a first century relevance to this message to those people. But the Bible is so wonderful that even today, 2,000 years after Jesus, we have a message and application to us who live right now uh, after 2,000 years of Jesus Christ. So if you really want to understand the context and the meaning of a passage, these are the three ways for you to understand the original audience, the the intent of the writer to whom he wrote, and thirdly, uh, what it means to us today in the 21st century. So before I could start on speaking about the Beatitudes and give you a bird's eye view about it, I want to talk to you about the context in which Jesus is establishing the kingdom because without context this will be out of place and I really uh, struggled in my heart whether should I preach the context how many of them will understand but I felt that I will not do justice to the script if I don't bring you the context and if you are able to understand it you will understand why Jesus is bringing the kingdom and establishing his kingdom over here. We must understand that Jesus is establishing the kingdom and starting the kingdom preaching based on the context of the scripture coming down from the Old Testament. Right in the garden of Eden, man sinned and he fell away from the grace of God. And here comes the judgment of God on man, separation from God right? And then God brought the law through Moses. And it was all a means to get back to God, to somehow come to the presence of God. But the law had its own curses. The law had its own blessings. So the Old Testament, when we see the way the Old Testament ends is not with blessedness because nobody can fulfill the law perfectly. It ends with a curse. Look at the last word of Malachi, the last chapter of Old Testament and the last word, Malachi chapter 4 and it's verse 6. Come to that scripture. It says about the prophetic utterance about the forerunner of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist. And look at what is the ministry of John the Baptist. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. The old NIV says curse uh, and uh, the new NIV says destruction. The Old Testament ends with proclaiming the curse of God, right? And here in that context of the law and when the curse of the law is proclaimed on the people who have disobeyed the law, here comes Jesus Christ and when he starts his public appearance, he's telling blessed Blessed are you. Blessed are you. He's pronouncing blessings, the blessings that man lost back in the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine it is coming in the scriptural context of where there is curse in the Old Testament. Jesus is coming and giving us blessedness in his very first message. That's the biblical uh, context of this message. If the first Adam has sinned in the perfect of the environments, the last Adam or the second Adam, Jesus, you know, he pronounces blessings on the people and brings people back into the kingdom of God which man lost out. That is the scriptural context. And secondly the religious context of the kingdom. We must understand that Jesus came into a very religious Jewish society and they are holding on to the laws and by the time of Jesus they have derived various formulas or various ways on how they can fully obey the law. And in the time of Jesus, we must understand that the Jews had divided into four major sects. One is the Pharisees. You will be very aware of the Pharisees because it's very predominantly mentioned in the Bible. The second sect is the Sadducees, right? And uh, and the third sect is the Essenes. And the fourth one is the Zealots. So it is in these people are trying to interpret the law of Moses in various ways to achieve the kingdom, happiness to have a way back to God they had come with various positions on the law of Moses to please God and to be a child of God and to be happy in their lives you know what did the Pharisees believe they believed in legalism they believed in rituals or they believed in uh, tradition out of the laws of Moses for example for Sabbath they had come out with rules on how you are to follow the Sabbath and they said that if you follow the Sabbath like this No, that is how you can fulfill the laws of Moses. Can you imagine if you really see even Christianity today, when I was just going through these four ways of how the religious sects were following the religion, Christianity today also, many people around the world are trying to find the joy in Christian life and trying to live the Christian life this way. There's a group of Christians right in India. They tried to follow the Christianity by rules and traditions of the fathers. These traditions that the Pharisees brought were not literally in the law, but they had brought in their own tradition, their own law, their own restriction upon the people, bondage on the people, so that if they follow this, they follow the laws of Moses. Likewise, there are people uh, who are traditionally holding on to certain doctrines, not necessarily mentioned in the Bible, and they're telling that if you want to be a Pentecostal believer, if you want to be a child of God, you need to do so and so. You need to wear white and white, and this is how you need to do your worship. This is how you need to behave. This is how you need to uh, wear. You need to wear this. You need to wear that. And these are all traditions that has come, not from the Bible, but then people who are good believers, and they brought in good rules, but sadly it has taken us away from the presence of God and this was the Pharisees problem. They were tradition, legalism, get back to the law and this is how you get back to the law. On the other side the Sadducees they were modernists. They were trying to the present. Modernism and liberalism that was their philosophy. This is how you fulfill the law of Jesus. That was their thought line and the third group was the Essenes. And who are those groups? They're not much mentioned in the Bible. They are the ones who would withdraw from the mainstream society and they say that if we get into the society, we will get corrupted by the society. We are set apart, called out of the world so we need to stay together in isolation from mainstream society so that we will not be made impure by what is happening in the world. And there are many Christians who practice Christianity like this. They never mix and they get secluded and they just have fellowship among themselves. But that's not the purpose why God has made us believers. We are to be scattered among the Gentiles. We have to be scattered among the people to be the light and salt, to be useful, to be influential people in the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen church? So that is the Essenes group. So they are isolated when Jesus came. And the fourth one was the zealots. They were the revolutionaries. They say that get ahead and fight. And uh, Romans are ruling over us now, but we want God's kingdom to come. We need Israel to be established as Kingdom, we need the Messiah to come, and the only way is to use power, military power, and revolutionize and go ahead and overthrow the Romans. So, these were the four religious contexts, and they were doing so that they can stick on to the law and they can prepare the way for the Messiah to come. And in this context comes Jesus. Jesus is telling, you are trying to stick on to the tradition. Some are trying modernism. Some are going outside the society. Some are telling, let's get forward and march and defeat the Romans. But my kingdom is a very different kind of kingdom. You have never thought about such a kingdom. My kingdom is inside of you. And the only way you can enter the kingdom of God is by repentance, not by revolution. Amen. And in that context, Jesus comes and presents the kingdom of God. Come to the political context of why Jesus is bringing the kingdom. The children of Israel have seen the great monarchical period of David and Solomon, great time of Israel, and they have seen the throne of David flourish under the King David, a man after God's own heart. And they expect a kingdom in the line of David. And after David, they saw how the kingdom declined and they were given over to the foreign invaders like the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the kingdom of Israel is hardly existent over there. And they expected, according to the scripture, a kingdom in the line of David, somebody who will rule from the throne of David and they were expecting a political kingdom. And in the meantime, they have seen the great kingdom of the Hellenistic kingdom, the Alexander the Great. They have seen the rise and the fall of the Hellenistic kingdom, Alexander's kingdom. And then they saw the rise of the Roman Empire, the Pax Romana, the peace that the Romans bring. And the people are expecting a political kingdom. And Jesus is coming in, in his first speech. He's establishing his kingdom and he's telling, my kingdom is not like the political kingdom of this world. I've come here to establish a kingdom much beyond what you can think. And this is how you are to enter the kingdom of God. It has been inaugurated in my ministry. And this is how you are to enter the kingdom of God. So in that political mindset and background, Jesus is establishing the kingdom and how you have to enter the kingdom and how you have to live in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. That is how you are to live with Christ in this world. We are not waiting to go to heaven and live as a godly people. While we are living in this world, we have the kingdom of God in us. And when the children of God get together, God is glorified. The kingdom is here. And these are the principles by which we live out the kingdom with the help of Christ day in a day-to-day life. Amen, church? Amen. And look at the context of Matthew. Matthew, to his writers, He's presenting Jesus as the king. How beautifully he brings the genealogy of Jesus. In the first century writings, if you had to present somebody as king, you had to present the royal bloodline of that king. That he is born in that line. And that's why in genealogy, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 to 17, he's presenting the genealogy of the king. He's the king. He deserves to be the king because he is in the line of David starting all the way from Abraham. And he brings in the genealogy. And then Matthew presents the birth of the king. If a king has to rule, he has to be born. And Jesus is born. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 onwards, he presents the birth in chapter 2. We can find that at the birth of Jesus, not the Jewish people, even the Gentiles, come and bow down to Jesus. This is a king, not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles to come. He is a different kind of king, Matthew is presenting. And then, We can find the baptism of the king and then the temptation of the king. If the first Adam fell down uh, in temptation in the wonderful environment of the Garden of Eden, the second Adam in the worst of situations, he overcame temptation by quoting the scripture one after the other. He overcame the temptation and he's presenting that he deserves to be the king because he could not sin. Even though Satan tempted him, he overcame temptation. And then if you come to chapter 4, we can find that Matthew is presenting the king starting his ministry. Go home and read the context of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 4, we can find that Jesus started his ministry only when John the Baptist was put in prison. John the Baptist was the forerunner of the king. Right? If the king has to come, if a king in Matthew's time would take uh, the throne, a forerunner would come, herald of the king would come, go around and proclaiming the king is taking throne. And that was the job. That was the ministry of John the Baptist. And he, start, he did the heralding work as prophesied by Micah. And John the Baptist becomes the herald of the king. And when John the Baptist is put in prison, Matthew chapter four, Jesus starts his public ministry uh, right from Galilee. And that's how Matthew puts it, okay? And uh, he started his ministry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Why did Jesus go to Galilee? If we can find the map over there, we can find that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and then he went from Bethlehem all the way to Egypt. He was taken. Can you see the picture of Moses over there? He is giving us a new exodus over here. You know, Moses had gone to Egypt, and then he comes back uh, into his land and then the children of Israel crosses the Red Sea and Moses, uh, Jesus comes to River Jordan and he's giving us a new exodus and he's getting baptized under John the Baptist. And after that, in the wilderness he is tempted and the children of Israel was tempted in the wilderness and they were crying to God for bread and they failed that temptation and Jesus overcame the temptation in the wilderness. And after the wilderness, Moses is going to the mountain, Mount Sinai to receive the law the Torah, the law that God had given uh, to the children of Israel. Moses received it in the mountain and Matthew is so beautifully presenting Jesus as somebody greater than Matthew going to the mountain and giving the laws and giving how you can live out, how you can enter the kingdom of God. And Matthew is giving us a picture of a new Moses, somebody who is greater than Moses over here and who is calling us into the kingdom of God. And the king started his ministry. And the king also takes disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, we can find verse 18 to 22, we can find that he calls for disciples. And by now, he has four disciples. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the king began to proclaim the king began to teach and preach and proclaim Matthew 4:17 from that time onwards jesus began to preach repent For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus is telling, I have inaugurated the kingdom. And kingdom has come because of my birth. And now, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, there is only one way. That you repent of your sins and plead for mercy. Ask God for his grace to bring you to the kingdom. And not by your merits, but God is faithful enough to bring you to the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, look at Jesus' proclamation. He went through Galilee. Teaching in the synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. You know, he started his ministry from Galilee. Why from Galilee? Uh, you can find in Isaiah uh, that it was prophesied that he would start his ministry from the land of Zebulun and it is Galilee that was there. And that's what to fulfill scripture. He started his ministry from Galilee. And what did he do? He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come. You don't have to wait for a time for the king to come. The king is already come. He has established his kingdom and the good news is a time for you to repent and come. And the signs of the kingdom, what is it? What is a sign? Healing every disease, sickness among the people. If healing has to happen, sick has to be healed, the dead has to rise. This is all the pre shots of the kingdom because in the kingdom when Christ comes, there is not going to be any more sickness, any more tears and Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom. What beautifully Matthew puts the ministry of Jesus as the king and he starts the ministry. And now as Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom, kingdom. Four disciples have come to Jesus. There's a huge crowd that is attracted to the ministry of Jesus and Jesus is kind of taking them to a mountain. That's how Matthew puts it. You know, beautifully he puts it and maybe he is trying to show us a picture that the call of the kingdom is a high calling. You cannot be in your natural plane and in your natural understanding and be a part of the kingdom as you climb to the mountain. This is how you are supposed to scale to the mountain, not by your merit, but by the grace of God. And then, see the context. Come to Matthew chapter 5 and it's verse 1 and 2. Now Matthew, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down Jesus took the crowd to a mountainside and Jesus sits down. Sitting down shows that here is somebody with authority to rule. No, the king never stands and gives uh, his teaching. The king is always seated on the throne. And here, he, Matthew's is picturizing Jesus as somebody with authority. The new king of this world has come and he's establishing his kingdom and he's about to give his first speech to the people. And then his disciples came to him. The crowd came. And the disciples came. There are two different groups of people. Even today, sitting and hearing over this message online and in-house, there are two kinds of people over here. Some are in the crowd and some are still the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And if you are the disciple, this is a checklist for us how we are living out our kingdom lifestyle. And if you are in the crowd, this is a message for you to count your costs. And God is calling you to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not preach to the crowd, but his his disciples came to him. In verse 2 it says, he began to teach them. So Jesus has got two audience over here. He's teaching the disciples, if you are trying to follow me and if you are going to be my disciple, this is how you are to live out your life in the kingdom. But this message is also to the crowd who is listening to him and he's telling that you are the future disciples. You are my potential disciples. Listen to me, how you can be a disciple and how you can be making impact and influence and how can you have real joy as you receive me and the kingdom, okay? So now, uh, moving forward, let's go to the Beatitudes and let's see and see the bird's eye view of what Jesus is preaching. In what we can understand today, who can enter the kingdom of God? The first section, I understand it. Uh, some scholars go with this way of interpretation, and they say uh, the first set of four verses, three, four, five, and six, Jesus is talking about who can enter the kingdom of God. Who are the people who are qualified enough to enter the kingdom of God? And when we read this list, uh, nobody is qualified, and it is much paradoxical to how the world thinks about a quality of somebody who can enter the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Look at the quality. If you want to be in the kingdom of God, you need to be poor in spirit. Matthew very clearly talks about poor in spirit. It talks about a spirit that knows that uh, we are sinners, a spirit knows that knows that according to the Old Testament we are cursed, we are under the judgment of God and we cannot do anything by our own merit to receive the kingdom of God, receive Jesus to have union with God and we say Lord I'm so poor in my spirit, I have no uh, ability with my own self to stand up to your uh, holiness so I'm so poor, I don't I even want to show my face to you, Lord, I just want to hide away like a poor beggar, and I don't deserve this place in the kingdom of God, and only when you have such an attitude, you can be received into the kingdom of God. We don't receive God's kingdom by our salvation or by our uh, baptism. These are all means that God has given to us, but it is a heart condition when we realize that we are not capable to stand with God, who is holy who is so high and mighty, and we are so poor, wretched, full of sin. In all sinful thoughts and sinful actions, and Lord, with our own merit, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's only through your grace. And when we realize that, the kingdom of God is for such people. And secondly, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And what is that mourning? It's a kind of mourning that you're mourning over sin. You see the sinful nature of man and our own sinfulness, and we tell that, Lord, we can never fulfill this beatitudes. We cannot fulfill this. Only by your grace, we can live like this. And we mourn over our condition. We grieve over my sinfulness. We grieve over my condition as a human being, which cannot fulfill the laws of God, and we mourn over it. And such people can be given the kingdom of God. Can you imagine? It is not our religious rites. It is not our birth. It is not what we do. It is not how much we give. It is a condition of the heart. A heart that realizes that he is a sinner or she is a sinner. And a heart that grieves over that sin. A heart that mourns over that sin. For such people, the kingdom of God is given. And the third one is blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. What is this kind of meekness? I understand it. Uh, One way of interpreting it is telling that, Lord, now that I understand my situation, I'm grieving over my sin. I'm asking you, forgive me from my sins. And only a humble heart can ask for forgiveness. No proud person can tell that, forgive me. Only the humble, the meek, and we come to that situation that, Lord, please forgive me. And in that situation, you will be given the kingdom of God. And the fourthly, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There should be a hunger. There should be a thirst. Because man's righteousness are like filthy rags. Whatever we do, that's what Isaiah says. So Lord, I don't have a righteousness of my own. Whatever I do, how much of baptisms I take, even if I go and get baptized in River Jordan, I cannot be righteous unless you make me righteous. I'm thirsty for your righteousness. I'm hungry for your righteousness, not of my merit. And only such people who are mourning, who are poor in the spirit of their sinful condition, who are humble enough to ask God for forgiveness of sin and thirsty for a righteousness not of their own but a righteousness of God. Only such people can enter the kingdom of God. And if you're already a part of the kingdom, praise God for that. Check your heart condition. Are you still thirsty for righteousness? Are you still thirsty and humble before God to go to him and tell God, I cannot fulfill my Christian life by my own merits. I cannot be uh, uh, righteous by my own merits. Forgive me. I need your grace every day in my life. And that's not a one-time process, a continuous process that we come to the presence of God and plead with him for righteousness and we will be filled by God. And secondly, Matthew chapter 5 verse 7 to 9, is the attitude of a kingdom person. Attitude of a kingdom person. Once you are into the kingdom of God, then begins the new birth. You are a new creation. And that new birth grows. Okay? And this is the change that has to come to a lifestyle of a believer. I would say that this is a representative list. There is a whole lot of fruit of the Spirit and Christian maturity that we need to grow in. Now, what is this list that Jesus is talking about? Merciful, blessed are the merciful. What is that mercy? It's the character of God. It's the nature of God. And when you become a child of God, we partake in that divine nature. We become merciful, right? What is that? I was saved in 1987 in a, a vacation Bible school Meeting at Calcutta AG Church. Pastor Mark Buntain gave the altar call, and I feel God calling me. The voices, I felt it was a voice of God, and I was dragged to the friend. I never knew why I went to the friend, but it was love of God that attracted I gave my life over to Jesus uh, at Calcutta. Amazing man of God, a beautiful church. And after three months, I got baptized. Then I started speaking in tongues and uh, that was in the year 1990 that i was filled with the power of speaking in tongues but today it is 2021 i can say that by god's grace grown a lot in mercy i was never merciful the time i was born again i was never compassionate the time i was born again but now i'm slowly learning to be merciful to be compassionate right and i have not reached there yet i'm still growing And I know that at the coming of Christ, we will get into the next level of our Christian maturity. Does it end over there? I don't think it will end there because we can never reach who God is. Even in eternity, it's my understanding that we will still be learning to practice the principles of the kingdom of God. And if you are a child of God, is there this attitude in your life? Is there a constant growth in mercy? Is there a constant growth in patience? Love, God is calling you. You have come to the kingdom. Don't be a baby. Grow up. Grow up in every quality that God has for you. Secondly, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What is that pure in heart? Can I ever be pure in heart in my flesh? When I was looking at this translation, I understood that it is not just the purity of the heart. It is the intention of the heart. It is a motive of the heart. That one motive to please God and pursue his kingdom. Right? It is single-minded devotion to Jesus. Can you introspect your heart? You are a part of the kingdom of God, but is your passions, is your work, is your life a single-minded devotion to Jesus or you have many other priorities in your life? Is the work taken more priority than your kingdom that God has given to you? Is family taking more priority? It's all needed. It all has to be prioritized, but not at the cost of the kingdom. Single-minded devotion to God. Are there any idols in the heart? Is there anything that I am more attracted to than Christ? The kingdom people will have one motive and one devotion. That is Christ and Christ alone. And then comes everything. That's why Jesus said, "Seek ye us the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called the children of God. Can you introspect yourself whether you are a peacemaker or a troublemaker? Are you sleeping with your wife in the same room? Or for many reasons, you have fought and you are come to a time where you cannot reconcile this relationship. And then you go down and see how a kingdom family lives is there in 5, 6 and 7. Kingdom affairs, kingdom prayer, you can find over here. This is how we are to live our life with Christ ruling in our hearts and in our homes, in our churches. Blessed are the peacemakers. Are you growing in Peace. Are you a peacemaker? And that's the lifestyle of the kingdom of God. Who can enter the kingdom? And attitude of a kingdom person. Don't neglect the first list. Who can enter the kingdom? While we are maturing, we are also continuing to be poor in spirit. We don't have a righteousness of our own. We are also mourning. For our condition, we are all so meek. We are asking Jesus that humility is practiced over there. We are also hungering for thirst and thirsting for God's righteousness. Cannot separate it altogether, but there is a kingdom attitude, and God wants us to grow in that kingdom attitude. And thirdly, how the world treats the kingdom citizen. When you become a kingdom citizen, that is a child of God in the kingdom of God, you are walking against the tide of the world. You will lose your former friends. The world will look at you differently. And you need to weigh the cost before you become a disciple. And Jesus, by the way, is also addressing the crowd. If you want to be my disciple, know what is the cost. The world will treat you differently. Come to Matthew chapter 5 and it's verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you. You will go through insult. Sometimes from your own family, from friends, because you are a kingdom citizen. If you live out the kingdom lifestyle, we will face insult. We will face persecution. You will be falsely accused and people will say all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus. I heard people coming and telling me, pastor, my life was fantastic before baptism. No, I received Jesus. So many miracles happened in my life. After baptism started my problems, who said it will not be there? That's what Jesus said. You will be insulted. You will be persecuted. People will accuse you because of the kingdom principles. And that's how the world looks at it. And you need to count your cost before becoming a child of God. Have you really counted the cost of being a disciple? And moving forward... There is also reward in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 5 verse 12. Rejoice. The joy is the reward. Right in your persecution. Right in your insults. Right in your situation that you are going through. You have joy. Not based on the circumstances. That inward joy of the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is inside of us. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost is a result of the kingdom of God. Amen. Today can you be happy? Absolutely happy. Right? Jesus was insulted, right? What Jesus said, he went through. He was hated by his own people. He came to his own and his own did not receive him, right? And uh, who says that Christianity is a way of blessings? I heard preachers telling that you put this offering and multiplication is going to happen to you. That's not what Jesus told about discipleship. You will be insulted. You will go through pain. You may go through sufferings right? We are called to sufferings. That's what Paul says. Look at Paul. Before coming to faith, he had everything that he had in his background in Judaism. But the moment he came, he was hated, persecuted. But he had the joy. Even in Philippians, before his death, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. In the midst of job problems, in the midst of troubles in this world, in the midst of financial problems, in the midst of our waiting for our answers, we have the joy that nobody can take it away from us. Amen? You don't have to sit sad in the presence of God. This is the happiness that God gives. The world's happiness is when you have a good job, good money, good salary, property, gold and assets and gadgets. The world gives joy. But the kingdom is in the midst of all this. You have the joy of the Lord in your heart, bubbling in your heart. Amen? If you may have come here with a lot of discouragement, a lot of stress, you don't have to go that way. The kingdom is in you and there is a reward in the kingdom. And the number one reward Jesus offered here is, rejoice and be glad. And secondly, it says, great is your reward in heaven. This kingdom is going to come in its fullness when Christ comes right? And he's going to reward us for every insult, every hardship. We will be honored. We will be glorified. Look at Peter, what he says, you are going to be God's glory. You are going to be rewarded. You are going to be crowned, the Bible says, and your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Everything that we do in the kingdom will be rewarded the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. The influence of a kingdom person. Why did Jesus bring you into the kingdom? So that you can be an influence in the world, right? To be a great influence. When you become into the kingdom of God, God has purpose for you. God has usefulness for you. And look at the two illustrations that Jesus took. You are the salt of the earth, right? Salt of the earth. You will never lose your saltiness. Any sisters over here, have you thrown away salt because salt is too old? Yes or no? Anybody has thrown away salt? Salt will never lose its saltiness, right? So you have been given that influence to influence the world and salt is used for every kind of dish that we use, right? a small ingredient, transparent. No, nobody can see salt in a curry, but it influences every dish that we make. And you may be neglected, you may be insignificant in this world, but you are the source of God's influence for the kingdom in the places that God has placed you, in your workplaces, in your neighborhood, in your family. You are the source of influence and you are the light of the world. Amen? So God has called you for a purpose, not to have a good job and enjoy a good uh, family and a good car and good house. God will give all these things, but more than these things, God has called you to be influenced in the kingdom of God. Once you are in the kingdom of God, produce kingdom characteristics, kingdom attitudes. Know that you will be hated and persecuted, but have the joy of God inside of you, irrespective of that, knowing that there is a reward for you in eternity, and at the end, you will be useful you will be rewarded and you will be influential in the kingdom of God. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has lost its effectiveness because we are not influential in the society. We are come to just Sunday Christians and Monday to Saturday, we live the life like the world. We mix up with the world and behave like the world. No, we are supposed to be the influence. You know why the gospel is not reaching India? Because the believers are not living as the salt and the light. And God is counting on you to influence our nation, to influence your companies, to witness for Jesus Christ so that the kingdom can advance. God is counting on you. Now, that is a bird's eye view of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you can really open your Bibles from chapter 5 and this verse 17 onwards, it is how you live in the kingdom of God. Different aspects Matthew is pointing out from Jesus' message. And he's telling uh, how you live in terms of relationships, how you live in terms of adultery, how do you treat it, and in terms of divorce, and how do you treat your enemies in the kingdom. And in chapter six, how you treat with the poor in the kingdom. If you are a kingdom, your total thinking changes, your lifestyle changes, and then your living changes, right? And this is how you are to live. How you treat the poor in the kingdom. How to pray in the kingdom. Matthew chapter 6 verse 5 onwards. How to pray in the kingdom. How to fast in the kingdom. And kingdom people. How not to worry if you are in the kingdom of God. And things like that. So this is how you live out your Christian life. My dear friends, true happiness is in a life like this. A heart that mourns over his own or her own wickedness. Pleads for a righteousness that is not of our own, righteousness of Christ. And receives the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then that life brings in the change. Reading the scripture of the kingdom attitudes in our life. And we may go through persecution, we may go through pain, we may go through problems, we may go through sicknesses, but in spite of all that is happening in this world, we have the joy of the Lord and the reward that is coming. But in the midst of everything, we continue to live out our Christian lives with Christ. Christ is involved. Where is Christ? When we get together on a Sunday morning, this is the kingdom right over here. Can I hear an amen? Sunday morning, all the churches are meeting. The kingdom is there. Christ is in us and in the midst of us. And then when we go out, our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Christ is with us and we live out the kingdom. And then Jesus comes and he establishes his literal kingdom where we will live with him In glory. We don't have to wait for the second coming. Live out the kingdom right now. You can live the kingdom right now. You can experience the joy of the kingdom right now. And you can be the effective tools of the kingdom of God right now in this world.